Now, I confess to you that I did not watch a single NFL football game this year. <laughs> That's all right. And, um, but I also didn't watch an NBA game, and I didn't watch a, I don't think I watched any baseball games either. I just, I'm kind of fed up with professional sports in general. And, uh, but I will confess to you that my wife uh, asked me to watch the Super Bowl with her. And uh, I was, uh, she said, well, you can go upstairs, but I'm going to watch Super Bowl. So I, I, so I, I watched the Super Bowl. And let me tell you, it was a great game. And, uh, but what really impressed me about the Super Bowl was not what happened during the game, but what happened after the game. And there's a lot of discussion about uh, who is the GOAT, right? I didn't know what that meant, really. Uh, the greatest of all time. Uh, and, and certainly, Tom Brady is in the running for the greatest of all time. And if you're not a uh, Patriots fan, you probably enjoy that picture right there. But without question, Tom Brady has been unbelievable as a quarterback. Eight Super Bowls, three MVPs, the oldest MVP in league history. And it wasn't Tom Brady's fault that his team lost the game. I mean, he threw for over 500 yards and he proved, maybe most importantly, that 40 is not old. <laughs> Can we agree with that? 40 ain't old. That's right. And there's been a lot of debate through the years who is the greatest of all time, whether it's Michael Jordan or LeBron James, Tiger Woods or Jack Nicholas. If you'd ask the Israelites, the greatest of all time had to be Moses. Moses, the one who led them out of slavery in Egypt, the one who received the Ten Commandments from God. And yet, Moses had his failures, made his mistakes, got sacked a few times, and didn't even make it into the promised land. So Joshua certainly could be in the running for the greatest of all time. He was faithful to God when nobody else was faithful. He believed when others didn't believe. And he led the children of God into the promised land. Could have been the greatest of all time in Jewish history. But the most important thing that Jesus, J Joshua does is he points us to Jesus. They have the same name. Joshua Latinized means Jesus. And both Joshua and Jesus led their people into the promised land. And today you and I experience salvation, the promised land, because of the ministry of Jesus. So who is the greatest of all time? Who is the greatest of all time? I would say that Jesus is the greatest of all time. And we've come here to worship him as the greatest of all time. I would say it this way, he is the, the goat. The greatest of all time because he is the good shepherd. He is gracious. He is glorified. He is omnipotent. He is our redeemer, our redemption. He is almighty. He is the alpha and the omega, the anchor of history, the greatest teacher that ever lived, the greatest transformer that ever lived, and he is triumphant. Jesus is the greatest of all time. Amen.
the famous British historian H.G. Wells, who was an atheist, said this, I am an historian, I am not a believer, but I must confess as a historian that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the very center of history. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in all of history. Jesus Christ, the greatest of all time. And we come here today to worship him. But there's this curious passage in John's gospel where Jesus says these words, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me, that's all of you this morning that have, have, who have professed that Jesus is the greatest of all time. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works, greater works. How can you and I do greater works than the greatest of all times? He says, because I'm going to be with the Father. Well, God continues to show great things. God continues to show and demonstrate his great power. And you and I get to proclaim that Jesus is the greatest of all time. We get to proclaim that Jesus resurrected from the dead, not just at Easter, but every day. You and I get to demonstrate that Jesus is the greatest of all time when we demonstrate his kingdom, when we live as his disciples, that you and I are called to make a mark. And that's a wonder thing, but it's also a burden. Do you have a burden to make a mark for God? It's a wonder that you and I can do that, but do you have a burden for that, to make a mark for God? As I think about making a mark, I'm reminded of my mother-in-law, Lois, who was actually in Columbia this past week, and but my, my mother-in-law, if you come, she's the auditor of Horry County and has been so, so for so many years that I don't know how long she's been there. But if you go into Lois's office with a question about a tax problem in Horry County, there's a likely chance you will hear before you leave her office this question. Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? And I can guarantee if you go to Walmart with her and you go through the checkout line, she's going to ask that at checkout clerk, do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? She's committed to making a mark for the Lord. And she's not one bit ashamed of that. I wonder how many of us are not ashamed to make a mark. You know, we wear our favorite team's shirts I haven't got anything blue on today, I don't think, but normally I would. But we, we, we wear those unashamedly. We, we make a mark all the time for our favorite team, whether it's the Eagles or the Patriots or the Wildcats or... You know the names, right? You fill in the blank. But will we make a mark for the greatest of all time? Will we stand up? Will we speak out? Sometimes we never make a mark for God because we're too focused, too busy chasing what we want God to do for us. God, I got all these problems I need you to solve. I got this situation, God, that I need your help with. 
We have that same grumbling mentality that the Israelites had. Grumbling about what we don't have rather than what we have been blessed with. Nick and I were talking about this message and I loved his statement here is that we sometimes chase circumstantial deliverance instead of character development. We want God to change our circumstances, but don't mess with my character. You see, God uses our circumstances to shape our character. You know, it's something like this. There's something in our life that makes us uncomfortable. There's something we want God to take care of. There's something we want God to fix. And we start taking our faith more seriously. We cry out to God daily to fix this circumstance. And what God wants to do is fix us. He wants to fix us. Instead of becoming the best version of myself that glorifies and honors God in a way that makes him more famous, we are focused on the next best place, the next best relationship, the next best job, the next best opportunity. Instead of being focused on God becoming real in us to make us the best we can be in him. You see, we get focused on comfort and God is focused on character. We get focused on happiness and God is focused on our holiness. We are focused on ourselves and God is focused on the people out there that he wants us to reach, us to touch with his grace. Greater things you shall do if your focus is not on yourself. It's hard, it's hard for us to do something great for God when the focus is on ourself. The focus is on our, our circumstances. And I would share with pastors and other leaders that one of the things that turned Mount Horeb in a new direction was the commitment to be focused on ministry for those folks out there, for those folks that haven't gotten here yet, for those folks who need a savior. And that when church is focused on what I need, then we are not really doing church. There's gonna be some weekends that you come here broken, your heart shattered, overwhelmed by grief or guilt or sin, and you need God to move in your life. That's all of us. We all come to church that way occasionally. But if we come to church every weekend going, God, give me something. God, give me something. God, do, change my life, change my circumstances. God, do this for me. And we're not saying, God, what do you want me to do for you? How can you use me to change the world? Then we're missing God's best. You see, the problem with circumstantial deliverance is only a matter of time until we relapse into the circumstance that we wanted God to defeat. That's exactly what happened to the people of Israel. They didn't have a home. They didn't have a country. And they prayed for God to deliver them. And God delivered them. God gave them a country. God gave them victory after victory after victory. But it was only a matter of time until they relapsed. Because all they wanted was their circumstances to change. And it wasn't long to the very gods that they had defeated they were being oppressed by. 
The people that they had won victory over were now oppressing them again. And you see it throughout Israel's history. And sometimes you and I have that same pattern in our history. We get God to change something for us. We get this victory, and then we go back to the same thing over and over again because we've not allowed God to change us, change our character and who he wants us to be. You see, the people wanted a home, and God wanted a people. God wants a people. He wants a church that he can use to change the world. He wants a people that will move out and, and, and make an impact in the community. That's what church is about. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about what God wants. Amen? So how do you make your mark for God? God has put this uh, thought in my head that's been swirling for a couple, three weeks now. I want you to say it with me when it gets up on the screen there. Say, it with the, say this with me. Let me read it first, and then I want you to repeat it. The mark you make that will last will not be the mark you make for yourself, but the mark you make for God. Say it with me. The mark you make that will last will not be the mark you make for yourself, but the mark you make for God. Is our focus on making a mark for ourselves, or one of those other gods that are out there in the world that chase after us, or are we willing to make a mark for God that will last? Now, I'm going to suggest this morning to make a mark for God that will last. There's some things we all got to do. The first is we got to select who we will serve. Select who you will serve. Joshua said, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served? Will it be the gods of the Amorites? Are those who you're going to serve? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. And throughout the book of Joshua, throughout the book of the Old Testament, you know, this, the, the, the equation is pretty simple. Faith plus obedience equals victory. Faith plus obedience equals victory. As long as the people of God were faithful and obedient to the things of God, they were victorious. And as soon as they were disobedient and were filled with unbelief, they were defeated over and over again. It's the same way in this land we call America. As long as we are going to be faithful to God and obedient to the things of God, I believe we'll be blessed and be an impact in the world. But if we cave in to the world and cave in to the godless generation, then I think we'll see defeat. I think God wants to honor people, whatever country they live in, who honor him. God's going to honor whatever church, whatever people that honor him, he will honor them. In chapter 23, Joshua says these words in his speech. He says from the message version, as you can see, I'm about to go the way we all end up going. Now, what's he talking about? He was going to die because all of us are going to die here unless the Lord Jesus returns before that happens. I'm about to go the way we're all going to end up going. Know this with all your heart and with everything in you. Know this, that not one detail has failed of all the good things God, your God, promised you. Not one thing has failed that God promised you. It has all happened, nothing left undone, not so much as one word. And when you, as a faithful believer, 
When me as a faithful believer, when all of us as faithful believers step into, into the promised land, step into eternity, we're going to know that's true. That every single one of God's promises came true, right? We will know that. And Joshua is saying, know that now. Know that God's promises have been true. Now, let me just clarify. Sometimes what we perceive as God's promises aren't God's promises, right? Well, God, I want this and I want this and I want this and I need this, I need this, I need that. My circumstances. God doesn't promise us a rose garden. You know that, right? God doesn't promise us a life without pain and difficulty and, and struggle, but he promises I'll be with you. I'll be there for you. Nothing will happen to you that with my help you can't overcome. Choose who you'll serve. He goes on to say, but just as sure as everything good that God your God has promised has come true, so also God will bring to pass every bad thing until there's nothing left of you in this good land when you or if you follow after the other gods. God's anger will blaze against you, and in no time at all there'll be nothing left of you, no sign that you've ever been in this good land he gave you. Pretty serious statement there. We like to talk about the love of God, the grace of God. I love talking about the love of God, the grace of God, but we need to hear about the justice of God. You know, if you don't follow, if you chase those other gods, then this will happen to you. Now, the reality is that Joshua knew he couldn't choose for them. I can't choose for you. We can't choose for our children or our grandchildren. But our prayer is that they and you and all of us will choose Almighty God that he will be our God above all the other gods. And here's the reality, folks. We've got to choose every day. There, there, there has been a time for many of you when you made a decision to invite Jesus into your life and he changed your life. You became a new believer. But every day, don't make, make no mistake, every day we must choose the God that we're going to follow. Because from the time you and I wake up to the time we go to bed, we're going to be harassed by other gods. We're going to be pursued by other gods. And we've got to choose this day, who am I going to serve? Who am I going to follow? Who am I going to worship today? Because every day we have new challenges and new temptations and new trials. And let me just say this. When you choose God, Almighty, you're not choosing religion. Nobody in this room here needs more religion. We got way too much religion in the world today. Would you agree? God did not come to give us a religion. He came to give us a relationship, a personal relationship with God Almighty through his son, Jesus. We don't need any more religion. I'm not interested in giving anybody religion. I want to give them a relationship with Jesus Christ, God's son, every day that we make that choice. You know, the question we have, or the choice we have, will you make a mark for God that will last forever? Or will you make a mark for another God that won't last forever? You know, you can make a mark in this world that may last for a few years after you're gone, but eventually that mark is going to fade out. Eventually that mark is going to be weathered by time. People are going to forget the mark you made if you make it for another God. But if you make it for Almighty God, 
that mark will never be forgotten. It lives on into eternity. So you got to select who you serve. Then secondly, I would say this morning, it's got to start at home. As for me and my house, says Joshua, we will serve the Lord. Starts at home. Doesn't start at church. Starts at home. It starts between husbands and wives. It starts between parents and children. And let me just say a word to dad. Since I'm a dad, since I'm a grandfather, we need to lead the way. Can I get a second to that? We need to initiate choosing God first. I was blessed to see men come on Tuesday night to the oyster roast with their children and with their grandchildren because they were demonstrating that I'm choosing God. I'm choosing God. To watch some little fellows there listen to uh, an old bass fisherman talk about Jesus was powerful. Start at home. I found this painting from Norman Rockwell, 1959, Easter Sunday. That has been so typical for so long in our culture where mom is taking the kids to church on Easter Sunday morning and dad is, now I know I'm preaching to the choir here, the dads that would be doing this aren't here this morning, right? But dads, haven't you all wanted to be there? <laughs> been tempted to be there? But you know what's interesting about that painting that Rockwell painted in 1959 is the young man looking at his dad. Looking, is, is that, I, I want to stay home and read the comics too. It starts at home. One thing that uh, Lynn is here this morning, I need to share this with Lynn, not a confession or anything, uh, but something that we need to do. You know, one thing that Joshua and Moses both did is they didn't want the people to forget that God was the reason and the source of their victories. And they, he told them, remember what God has done for you. Never forget what God has done for you. You know, I think it'd be a great blessing, uh, an incredible blessing, that if you and I would take time to sit down and record God's faithfulness, how God has been faithful to you. Make a record of it, write it down, where God has, how God has blessed you, how God has kept his promises, what God has done for you. Write them down and then, then, then show them as a legacy of God to your family. Starts at home. And the third thing I think has got to happen is you got to share your faith. You got to share your faith. Again, what I liked about the Super Bowl this year was not, it was a great game. I didn't really care who won. I don't think God cared who won the football game, do you? I mean, I don't think God cares who wins the football game. But God did care what happened at the end of that game. When some very godly players were unashamed in sharing their faith. Don Peterson was coaching high school football nine years ago. And yet here he is on the stage of winning a Super Bowl. And when he held up the trophy in the postgame ceremony, he was asked the question, how did you do this? Nine years ago, you were coaching high school football. And his first words were, it's all because of my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and I give God all the glory. Amen? Man, how did your plant grow? How, how did you get that nice house? I give God all the glory. God, give all the credit. I give credit to Jesus Christ, who is my Savior. When you get that chance, you're on the stage, and somebody asks you the question, do you give God the credit? 
Well, you know, I'm a pretty smart guy, good, 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 uh, good business person. I'm a good, I'm a good uh, pastor. You know, I, you know, I, I did all the, you know, no, 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 no. You hold the trophy up and you go, I give the glory to God. It's because of my faith in Jesus Christ, he gave me the strength to do this. Now, again, I don't think God cared who won the football game, but he does care when we make a stand and give him the glory. Zach Ertz, who caught the winning touchdown pass, married to one of our U.S. women's, Olympic women's soccer players, was asked what was going through his mind when, when the, his play was called at the most critical point of the game. And he said, I just knew I had to make the play and give God the glory. And give God the glory. I don't think God cared whether or not, whether or not he caught a touchdown pass, the winning touchdown in the Super Bowl, but God did care that he gave him the glory. See, that pass worked because they had practiced it over and over and over again. And when the play was called, it worked because they had practiced it. But he was quick to give God the glory. And how about the most valuable player in the 52nd Super Bowl, Nick Foles, a backup quarterback who was brilliant in the playoffs, brilliant in the Super Bowl. He went against Tom Brady, the greatest of all time, matched him play for play, not intimidated. He performed with excellence. And when he was handed the MVP trophy, what did he say? I want to give all the glory to God. See, people who make a mark that lasts forever give God all the glory. They give God all the credit, and they're not ashamed of that. They don't back down from that. Well, you know, I, I ran sprints for a lot of days, and I threw that ball over and over again. You know, I mean, you know, my, my, it, was my, it was my teammates. You know? No, I'm going to give God the glory. Let me be clear. I don't think God's into football, but he's into people who will give him the glory. Can I get a second on that? Give me a second. You know, these players chose to use their God-given platform and passion to make Jesus more famous. You've got, a, you've got a platform. Everybody in this room has got a platform. Is your passion to make Jesus more famous? That's how you make a mark that lasts forever. You know, I, in every new member class, I, I, I teach on the steps to peace with God. It's the beginning of every class that we do. I've had some people say, well, why do you do that? You know, I mean, why do you go over the how to be a Christian at a new member class? And I said, it's really two reasons. One is I want to make sure that anybody that's coming to our class to become a member of our church understands that we're not about making Methodist. We're not about making Mount Horbites. You know, there is such a thing, right? A Mount Horbite. I'm not sure it's in the dictionary, but, but I'm more concerned that we're making disciples of Jesus. And so we, we, we go through the steps of salvation as little books you find in your pews so that we can share our faith and that it's in Jesus that the relationship that's what matters. But there's a second reason I do that. Because everyone that comes into that class and becomes a member of this church should know how to tell someone about Jesus. That you and I are called to share our faith. Because all of us have a friend. If I, if I would just ask you to pause right now and think about somebody that you know that doesn't know Jesus, how long does it take to somebody to come into your mind? pretty quick, right? But you know, sometimes our strategy is to bring him to church and let Pastor Nick or Trevor or Jeff tell him how to find Jesus. No, he wants you to tell him. He wants you to tell him. He wants you to make a way for him. 
And then the other thing I would say this morning to make a mark that lasts forever, we got to serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, what does that mean, serve the Lord? We say that a lot around here. You need to serve the Lord. I believe serving the Lord means that my heart beats for what God's heart beats for. My heart breaks for what breaks the heart of God. To serve God means I run into the darkness. I don't run away from the darkness. I run into the darkness with the light of Jesus. I'm to be a voice for those who don't have a voice. It means to open your arms to the poor and the least of these. It's to be the hands and feet of Jesus. It's to make him known and famous. Now, what blesses me is, Nate said earlier, that people all across this church are serving the Lord. Making him more famous. You know, Night to Shine Friday night was not about Mount Hor becoming more famous. It was about Jesus becoming more famous. And, and, and 400 volunteers were here serving in, in all kinds of different ways. Dancing at the church. Who would have thought it, right? Now, let me just be clear. We only dance on Friday nights here, okay? Friday nights, don't schedule anything else. Friday night at the church, dancing. I mean, some people, somebody told me going out today that, that they danced here and they had to go home and take some ibuprofen because they, <laughs> so they could get out of bed the next day because their special needs date needed to dance the whole night. You know, we had a president of a company and a vice president of another company that spent the evening shining shoes. That, that was, that was that's serving the Lord. On their hands and knees, shining shoes. I didn't know they were doing that, so I didn't get my shoe shined. I didn't know until after the fact. But in talking with one of them, they said, that's what Jesus would do for me. See, serving the Lord is doing what Jesus would do for you. The men's oyster roast that we talked about, over 100 men made a first-time commitment to Christ. That's a wonderful thing. It's a powerful thing. We applaud that. But, you know, that would have been possible if a bunch of men hadn't gotten together and planned that event. A bunch of men hadn't got here to cook the food and set up tables and chairs and make it possible. See, serving the Lord makes that happen. The after-school program that's expanding to another day because there are so many children that need a mentor, need someone to come alongside them and help them become a better student so they can be successful in the world. That's serving the Lord. The David Crowder concert, this place was packed out. Now, let me just say this. I, I never thought I would say this, but after being at a David Crowder concert, being here Christmas Eve, uh, being here for the men's oyster roast, being here for the night to shine prom, that room over there is looking smaller and smaller. You know? <laughs> that big old room that I thought we would never fill up is getting smaller and smaller all the time. It's, it's, it's kind of frightening, you know? That's a, I don't know if the first time. I says, shoot, when are we going to ever fill this room up? And we just... But people are there serving the Lord. Confirmation mentors will come back today and, and, and serve the Lord by helping 118 eighth graders make a mark for Jesus in the world. Couldn't do it without those mentors. Some of you are here this morning. We saw Boy Scout mentors up here walking alongside young men, shaping their lives. I got to put a plug in for the men that gather with me on Friday morning for men's prayer breakfast. Uh, 79... 80 men this past Friday who came to serve the Lord by praying for this event right here, praying for you to be here, praying for this message to be effective. You know, Carson Wentz, the uh, 
the quarterback that didn't get to play in the Super Bowl that would maybe the MVP, he said this in his testimony, do not lose sight of the bigger picture. It's not about games. It's not about championships. It's not about trophies. The ultimate prize, the ultimate prize is living for the Lord. Amen? That's the prize, folks. That's how you make a mark. I believe this. God has something for you to do that nobody else can do as well as you. God has something for you to do that nobody else can do as well as you. Will you make a mark for him that lasts forever that only you can make? And then finally this morning, you got to make your mark through him. You make your mark for him. Here's the good news. He will give you the strength to make your mark through him. I couldn't be up here today unless God's spirit was up here with me. God is making a mark. I would give you these thoughts as you make your mark through him that God is with you. Joshua said, God was with you throughout this journey. In the wilderness, God is with you. And secondly, I would say that God fights for you. In, in the message version of Joshua 23, Joshua declares, God has driven out superpower nations before you. And up to now, no one has been able to stand up to you. Think of it. One of you, 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 single-handedly putting a thousand on the run. One of you, one of you, one of you. Why? Because God is with you and God fights for you. There's a story that uh, Max Licato writes about in his book on Joshua. It's a story about Nadine Curie, 13 years old, five foot two, weighed probably 100 pounds. His mom had moved from Minnesota to Philadelphia. She had lost her job as a hotel maid, was looking for work. In 2000, the year 2000, she had escaped Liberia. And so Nadine was a new kid in a rough Philadelphia neighborhood. His mom was an unemployed immigrant. Everything a wolf pack of bullies needed to justify their attack. And did they attack? These bullies pushed him and shoved him and ambushed him. And then they got him behind a tree, suspended him on a seven foot wrought iron fence. Now, young Nadine survived the attack only to probably face many more, but the bullies made a mistake. The bullies filmed the attack and put it on YouTube. And then the authorities got involved and they came and arrested the bullies. The story went viral and young Nadine ended up on a national TV show. While he was telling his story, the story was playing on the screens behind where he was seated. And he said these words, I hope the next time maybe it could be someone bigger than me. And then at that time, the screens parted and out walked three Philadelphia Eagle football players and sat down beside young Nadine and said, we're going to be your bodyguards. And they gave him their cell phone numbers. They said, if you need us, you call us. See, God sent somebody to fight for him, and God fights for you. I believe that, that we are not made to live in fear. We are to be conquerors, not cowards. To live 
with courage in this crazy world. We know that God is with us and God fights for us. And finally, I would say this morning that God always keeps his promises. He's going to keep his promises. He's going to be with you. He's going to give you strength. You know, I said earlier that we need to choose who you're going to serve. You got to share your faith. It needs to start at home. Serve the Lord. And you say, well, you're, you're the pastor of the church. It's easy for you to say that. It's what you get paid to do. Serve the Lord. Share your faith. But I can tell you it wasn't always like that for me. I can remember when I was 14 years old, I'd just become a Christian. I was scared. Didn't know how to, I didn't know how to be a Christian. And I went to a Christian coffee house. We did those in the 70s in the basement of a Nazarene church. Had some blue lights, black lights down there, little posters on the wall that says God loves you and God is with you and probably a God fights for you and God keeps his promises. And near the intermission, the, the speaker challenged us as students to go out and during the break for a 15 minute break and tell someone about Jesus. Well, I did what some of you would do. I went up into the sanctuary and went to the altar and prayed. I said, God, I, I don't know how to do this. I've never told anyone about you. I don't know what to say. I don't know where to go with this. And then I did what some of the rest of you would do is I stayed there praying until the music started downstairs. Because I figured if the music started downstairs, everybody'd be back downstairs. There'd be nobody for me to talk to. You ever done that, right? God wants you to do something and you say to God, well, wait a while or when I get ready or when I get stronger, when I know more, then I'll tell someone, but not right now. That's what I was doing. I was waiting for the music to start. Hey, hey safe. I can go back downstairs. Well, God had a different plan. Got up from the altar, turned around in dark sanctuary and a voice on the back row says, hey, can I speak to you? <laughs> Me? And so I went back there kind of trembling, not knowing what to say. I didn't know what was going to happen. And there was a, a young man there in his late teens, early 20s. Had a young woman with him and he said, I saw you up there praying and I don't know how to do that. How do you do that? How do you pray? You're asking me? A 14-year-old new believer. He said, would you tell me about God? And, and, and so it'd be his, his girlfriend was Catholic. I'd never met a Catholic before. I didn't know what Catholics believed, and she wanted to know what Christians believed or what Protestants believed and what she believed, and I, 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 I got nothing here, you know? I don't know anything, right? I can just tell you about Jesus. How I, my life was like before I met him and how I met him and how my life's different because I met him. It's kind of what Hank Parker did on Tuesday night. What was my life like before Jesus? How did I meet him and how's my life different because I met him? See, you got that story. If you're a believer in Jesus, you got that story, right? I just told my story. And then he said these words to me. Would you, would you go up there to the front of the church because I want to invite Jesus into my life. Would you pray with me up there? And so I did. I, I went up there and not knowing what to say or what to pray, but God knew, right? God knew. Well, a week or two later, I ran into the youth leader who had put that together. And they said to me, hey, it was amazing what you did there that night. I said, well, I, just, I didn't know if I, I don't know. I just, I just did what I could do. He says, you don't know the story then, do you? I said, no, I don't know the story. Well, the young man that you prayed with was there on a work release from the prison. 
there in Ashland, Kentucky. And his parole officer was downstairs and that was his girlfriend. But he went back into prison a different man. He had a breakthrough. I was astonished by that. I didn't know what to say, I didn't know what to do, but God did. But you see, that man had a breakthrough that night, but I had a breakthrough. I learned that God was with me. I learned that God fights for me. I learned that that God keeps his promises. See, on that night, I learned that I could do something for God. I, I, I didn't know that many years later I'd be sitting here this morning talking to you, but God did. He knew this 14-year-old inexperienced new believer would one day be speaking to you, a breakthrough. So this morning, I wanna challenge you to make a mark for God. In your bulletin, there was a card. If you didn't get one, grab one on the way out, a card called Breakthrough. And some of you today need to make a breakthrough by inviting Christ into your life for the first time. Some of you need to let go of a situation in your life for the first time. Invite Christ to change your character. But some of you need to do something for the first time that God's been wanting you to do for a long time. And, and so I, I prayed about what I put on my card. And here's what I wrote on my cards, my card. Uh, have a hands-on ministry with the poor. You see, I'm a champion of the poor. I believe in helping the poor. I support all of our programs. I want to help raise funds to support that. But I've never really done a lot of hands-on. I've been on a mission trip or two. But, but God says, you know, Jeff, you need to get down and wash some feet. You need to get your hands dirty. You need to get involved more personally in these ministries with the poor. So that's what I wrote on my card. My goal in 2018 is to be more directly involved with those who are hurting the least of these. Now, I don't know what God's calling you to do, but I know he's calling you to do something that will last forever. So I'd ask you to take this card and pray over it and write something on it and put it in a place where you can see it every day as a reminder that God wants you to make an impact to change the world. Father God, I thank you for this time that you've spoken to us today. I thank you that you sent your son Jesus to make a mark on a cross, nail-scarred hands, blood flowing down to leave a mark on us as forgiven people so that we can make a mark for you. And Father, I thank you that right now those who don't know you can know you. Those who feel totally helpless can find hope. If we confess our sins, you, you forgive us and you can give us a brand new beginning today. You can begin to change our circumstances so you can change our character. Father God, move in your people today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.